who here is a self-confessed news nerd? Andrew, put your hand up. I know you are. <laughs> Anybody else? I'm putting, I'm putting my hand up for this one. I'm a news nerd. Sally, Alan is. Nice work, man, James. Yeah, I, I definitely am. You ask my wife, I've got a real problem with this. I love watching news. I love getting angry about news. I love ranting at the TV and newspaper about news. I know I've got a problem because when my kids are watching cartoons in the morning or something on weekends and I, I, I come through the lounge room, Maddie's like, hey, Dad, here's the remote. Do you want to put your news on? So I love my news and I love staying up to date with current affairs and, and that's fine. I'm, the, the thing I'm most fascinated about is the way people, uh, when journalists go up to eyewitnesses or ear witnesses and they ask for their version of what happened. And my, one of my favourite ones is there'll be people in a Western society, say like an oil tanker blew up or, or a, there was a big car accident and there was an explosion or something, and the first thing that people resort to is saying it sounded like a bomb going off. These people that have never actually been in a war zone or anything ever before and they know what a bomb goes, like what a bomb sounds like when it's going off, you know. How do, you, how do you have anything to reference that against? But anyway, I don't know. But then another one that fascinates me is, is when people say it was like hell on earth. You know, do you know what that is? Do you know what that even is like? Or do you have a, have a glimpse or any sort of understanding of what that is? Or how do you know? And I just think of the, this hell on earth phrase is used by journalists that are in war zones to describe uh, frontline conflicts, the gore of, of the wars. Um, you know, it could be uh, a, a sexual assault victim. They could use the phrase hell on earth to describe their feelings of their loss of uh, dignity and worth that was taken from them by their attacker. Uh, it could be like a blazing forest fire or, you know, bushfires. We're no strangers to those in Australia and we see them all, like pretty much every summer there seems to be terrible bushfires. That can be described as hell on earth. It's an interesting phrase that we, is, is thrown around a lot. So, hell on earth is, is a description for the worst situations that we can't use words to describe. They, they usually take nonverbal descriptions like just a a shocked gasp or a, a tearful breakdown or um, just, a, just a shock, just a blank look of utter bewilderment or bemusement. That's what these hell on earth, um, that's what the, the, the phrase is used to describe. So we're at this point now in Revelation, in Revelation 16, um, chapter 16, as I said, yeah, where John describes as he sees it a worldwide... Um, sense of utter devastation and overwhelming cataclysmic events happening on earth. And so, so much of today, well, John has his description, I'm sure he was struggling with it, and in my mind's eye, I try to understand what he's seeing here, and I struggle with it too. So much of today will probably be me struggling with my own vocabulary. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a William Lane Craig or a Philip Yancey or even like an Adrian Park that has like a really awesome vocabulary to describe these sorts of things. Um, so I'll, I'll be struggling with that as well today. So, and also a bit of a disclaimer. So it's not too distracting for people as this passage is effectively a, um, a passage about God's wrath or is it God's wrath? 
I don't know what, I'm sure they're both fine, but, and I'm sure you can use either or, but I've got this weird sort of seesaw battle going on in my mind at the moment that causes me to flick between the two and use them interchangeably. So I will do that all through today. And if you're easily triggered by that, if you're like a pronunciation uh, fanatic, Ruth, or you're a phonetic scholar or something, I hope that you can look past this and um, sort of understand where I'm coming from and just take it up with me later or something. So this chapter, chapter 16, it shines a bright spotlight on the sinful nature of man, the human condition. Um, natural man, as we know, wants nothing to do with God. His strongest desire is to see God and go in the opposite direction. All right? This is man running in the opposite direction. This is the donkey analogy that Adrian used a few weeks ago. This is the donkey bolting in the opposite direction. From sees God, bolts. And the bowls of wrath here are linked with God giving man over to completely to what he ultimately desires. Right? God will not force you to love him. That's your choice, okay? But if you choose that path of loving anything else over and above him, then you will reap the outcome of that. So this chapter is a warning for us as Christians about what we desire most above God and to joy in Jesus above all. And this chapter is a warning then for non-Christians to glimpse what the end of their life will be if they continue to reject God. Okay, so that's where we're going. So just listen to this full warning before we start. On the outset of today, outside of, outside of God, you don't really want what you think you want. Just let that sink in for a little bit. Outside of God, you don't really want what you think you want. So the foreboding um, storm clouds have built. Rudgy, um, I want to thank actually Rudgy for giving us the rundown in, verse in sorry, chapter 15 last week because that was very much the setup and chapter 16 is very much the get down. Okay, so these storm clouds have built up and the f uh, these foreboding storm clouds of, of righteous judgment are coming and it is time to storm. So let's read chapter 16 and then we'll get into it. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and everything, sorry, every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just as you are, just, sorry, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you bought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. 
The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them there at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wrath of the fury of his wrath, and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So what we've read here is the completion of judgment on the earth. Now, unlike the trumpet judgments, who were partial in their effect, usually affecting only about one third of their target, these bowls judge in fullness. They're complete. They complete the judgment, okay? The trumpets and the bowls, if you've noticed any sort of parallels between the two, they're both directed at the same targets. The first one is poured out or directed at the earth, the next one at the sea, the next one at the rivers and springs, the next one um, after that is at the, the, uh, the sun, and then the darkness, and then the Euphrates, and then there is a final, the final one sort of heralds a ultimate victory, and then thunder and lightning and and earthquakes and things like that are part of the seventh. So the trumpets, there's a, there's a bit of a distinction here between the two though. The trumpets allowed for a period of grace in and around the sixth area. It's, you'll remember those people that survived the earthquake after the, the witnesses were taken away and they went up to heaven. There was this massive earthquake in Jerusalem and there was people there that then turned and gave God glory. All right, that was the effect of the trumpets. The bowls have no such effect. All right, There is no grace period. There is no... Um, repentance, there is only what we read, cursing towards God. Okay? So that's the bowls and the judgment weighed up and sort of compared. So John, let's get into it. John hears a loud voice, an exceedingly great and mighty mega voice. It says, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So, First, let's think about this pouring out idea, pouring out the bowls of God's wrath. It's mentioned a lot in, in books like Ezekiel. As this pouring idea is as the, the way for God to deliver His wrath, um, used in Ezekiel and other places, mainly in Ezekiel, actually. And pick up the image here, close your eyes if you need, but think about something that's poured out. What's it doing, okay? It's like, it's like a liquid that overflows completely what it is poured onto, okay? It slips into cracks, it fills and floods hidden areas. Um, the important thing to see here is there is no hiding from the wrath of God, all right? There is no, no place to hide, no caves, you know, nothing like this. There is 
nowhere to hide, it gets in everywhere, it completely overflows, takes over, covers and affects everything that it is directed at. Now the first bowl that we see here is poured out on the earth and harmful and painful sores infect people, man. The people who have chosen to identify with the Antichrist and they've taken his mark. Now, do you find it interesting that the bowl is poured out on the earth, yet it is people that are affected? Is that interesting or is it, does it make sense actually? Because we as people were made out of the earth, weren't we? God created man out of the dust of the earth or the mud or the clay or whichever translation you're reading. This is backed up, you know, in the science world. Like, how is, how is it that the most common elements on Earth that we find in our planet are also the most common elements in the human body? It's just the way it is, okay? Because God made man out of the dust of the Earth. So the Earth receives the bowl, and then all men who have chosen to worship the beast's image and take his mark, worship him, instead of obeying and loving and giving glory to their God, their Creator, these other people who have chosen to direct their worship away from God and to, onto a man are affected with these painful sores. Um, Romans 1 tells us the sinful state of people who reject God. Um, they will be given over to worshipping creation rather than the Creator. So they worship the creatures instead of the Creator. Now, this is God's Word proving itself true. When you think about it, these words were written from Paul to the Church of Rome. Uh, we see it in today, don't we? Like everywhere, you look around and people are worshipping creation, you know, they're honouring creation in all these different ways. They will not give acknowledgement to God for the creation of it all. And then it comes to ultimate fruition in a time yet future that's prophesied here in Revelation that men will worship in this, in this evil beastly kingdom that will take over the world. Men will worship a created being. They'll worship a man. God created that, that man, that antichrist man, and people will worship him instead of, instead of God. And what is that first commandment? You know, do not have any other gods before me. No, you know, don't worship any idols, any carved images, whatever, etc. Don't. Okay, so this is what the first bowl addresses. You can almost imagine what God's saying here. Okay, you want a false god. Okay, have it your way. Worship that little creature, okay, that, that I made. But my righteous judgment is going to come on you because of that. Now, some scholars postulate that these, um, these sores are like boils that sort of get infected somehow, hence the harmful aspect of them, because you see this pain, they're painful, Okay, we get that. But then there's like a harmful aspect. So there is a danger to having them. It's not just like something painful, like I don't know, you've got a paper cut or something. There is a harmful element involved with them. So some say that, yeah, it could be like an infection, these sort of things. Um, I seem to think that it might be some sort of thing tied to the actual mark itself, sort of grinding against the naturally created complex man. So whether it's a you know, high-tech skin tattoo, chip, you know, bio-enhancement, take your pick of whatever people are sort of guessing it might be. But I think there is a natural sort of 
um, conflict that comes with God's creation that will then form, you know, cancerous growth or some sort of irritation or something along those lines. That's just my ideas. Don't, you know, go forming theologies about it or whatever. But I just feel like when we talk about these things, we need to at least have some sort of uh, reference to what they could be. So let's move on. The second angel pours out his bowl into the sea and it becomes like the blood of a corpse. Now, I've been doing a little bit of random history reading lately and I've been getting into the, um, the, the like Herodotus and a few of these old Greek historians and their accounts of the Athenians fighting the Persians in Greece, you know, half a millennia before Jesus came along. And these, these bloody conflicts and their description of the battlefield the next day is such that, you know, um, people could not walk through the places where the heaviest fighting took place the next day because the ground was so sodden with blood and, and horses could just not walk that area because it was just so soggy and they just sank so deeply. And now that's disgusting, yeah? That, that's terrible, the amount of blood that is spilt. But think about this, that, that, that's just a little battle, okay? 6,000, 8,000 people died, you know? Small fry. This is the whole oceans that are turned to the blood of a corpse. Oceans that cover over 70% of the surface of the earth. And in volume, they are approximate, a bit over 1.3 billion cubic kilometers. That's a big volume, hey? 1.3 billion cubic kilometers. This is the size of the oceans. Imagine it full of rotten, stinking, putrid blood. This is... And everything in these oceans dies. This is clear. It's a decreation of the world. When you compare it to the Genesis account, what were the oceans like when God had freshly created them? Teeming, swarming with life, chock full of life. And now they're just this stinking, rotten mess of blood. So what speaks of hell more than the oceans just full? And the imagery there. Of the, imagine that scene, those, those beachfront properties, you know, we've talked about it a lot, like the, mankind prides himself on this, the, the big houses, their properties overlooking the oceans, whatever. These beachfront properties will just have, as far as I can see, view of God's wrath and his judgment on the world and its sin. And today, large, large portions of the scientific community are dedicated to stopping the oceans rising a couple of degrees. Imagine the headaches for this Antichrist kingdom when it's just like all of a sudden all blood. You know, fix that, you little mere man god. You know? Anyway, this is God, our, our almighty God, just pouring out his wrath. And it is hard for our minds to understand. It's this hell on earth scene. We can't describe it really. So then the third angel pours out his bowl, and the fresh water sources of earth become blood. So if you get the picture here, for people who, society today, okay, we worship, say, Mother Earth, okay? If you're on the International Space Station and all of a sudden all the fountains, rivers, everything just turns to blood, it'll look like the planet is bleeding out, won't it? Look like it's dying, and of course it is, under the wrath. So the inhabitants of the beast, sorry, the inhabitants of the kingdom of the beast, these people that have, that have given him power and are worshipping him, not only they are they tormented by these painful sores and then the stinking oceans, but now they don't have any water to drink. They can, they can only drink blood. 
All the freshwater streams are now gushing with blood. Could you imagine the cries from the people at this time? Help us, little G God. Your God, fix this problem. We're, we're thirsty. So, their choice is drink blood or die. Now, why? Why is it, is it, why is it drink blood or die? The angel says, because these are a bloodthirsty people. As the angel of the waters yells out, he said, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. So the people of this beast that have identified with him, and they have called for the blood of God's people to be spilt and to bring in this, this worldwide beastly kingdom, they're a bloodthirsty people. They wanted it. They called for blood by killing God's people, and now he's giving them over completely to what they wanted. Instead of him, they have blood to drink. And I see this also as, we look in verse 7 there, this is vengeance for those souls of the martyrs crying out from back in the, in the seals, I think it might have been the fifth seal, I think, where the, there's, there's those souls that have been souls of the martyrs crying out from under the altar. They're saying, you know, when are you going to avenge us effectively? And so we hear them praising God here. In verse 7, Lord God, Lord God Almighty, we praise you for his true and just judgments. So this little man, this little God man of the world, this beastly kingdom, it is dying. And this is just God saying, I alone am God, I am. Now the fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun. It's just ramping up. There's all these one after another after another. Fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun and it scorches people with fierce heat. Now, is this just fierce heat? Is it just talking about, you know, summertime in Australia or in some desert somewhere? No, of course it's not. In fact, it's not even really funny in this context. It's, it's, this is terrible, scorching heat, right? This is, this is heat from a fireball that's 330,000 times the mass of Earth. This is, a, this is a big ball of gas and Earth is made of rock and whatever. That gives you a, like an idea of the size of it. In fact, 1.3 million Earths can fit inside this gas fireball. And this gas fireball burns so hot that inside the core temperature of it's around 15 million degrees Celsius. And this gas fireball is controlled and purposed and made by our God. He controls it, he can adjust the heat, he can move it closer, move it around. He's, he's God. So this bowl of the scorching heat, you think of how, um, how fierce and severe it is when it's mixed with the previous bowl when people don't have water to drink. They don't have um, swimming pools to bathe in unless they want to have blood baths. That would probably suit them too. And so this is really, this is where we hear the cursing start. People are now aware that God has the power over these plagues and that this imposter man-God is just sh being shown to be the little man in, um, possessed by Satan that he is. People don't repent. They don't give God glory. 
like they did in the earthquake back in the sixth trumpet, they remain hard and they begin to curse God. Now, today, we think of sun worship as being an old thing, but even today, mankind worships the sun in that we credit it for sustaining life and even giving birth to life. Choose your amount of time in the past, however many years ago. Um, Many people believe that the Earth's the radiation on was the cause for life starting on Earth and sustaining on Earth through its through its through its energy, arriving over these millions of years. So this 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 is once again man worshiping the creation, worshiping the sun, giving the sun all its praise for its life giving powers, and not worshiping the Creator God who made it and who holds it and who controls it. Isaiah 42 says, just in reference to God, when he's talking about God, it's a, uh, uh, an, an attribute, uh, not an attribute, but a description of God. He says, who created the heavens, this is in Isaiah 42, who created the heavens and stretched them out. So he's created the heavens, sun's part of that and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. So life is coming from God. It's not the sun. The sun is not the ultimate source. Who breathes, who gives breath to the people, so who gives life to the people and the spirit to those who walk in it. So this twofold life that God gives people, not the sun. Okay? He gives life. God sustains life. It's not the sun. The sun is not the ultimate source of life on this planet. And this is what's being shown in this bowl here. God's the ultimate source, not the sun. And then the fifth angel pours out his bowl on the Antichrist throne and the whole kingdom and his throne is covered in darkness. Now, we humans in our natural state, we love darkness, don't we? Like you yourself know that you're most depraved and your, your sinful acts happen in the dark. When Two types of darkness. In the actual dark, when you think no one can, else can see you and in the dark, there's a sort of hiddenness when you're away from what other people where they can't see you or you don't have any influence from other Christians that comes through accountability. So, in light, darkness flees. Darkness is out of here. You shine a bit of light in, darkness is immediately gone, okay? It, light exposes all and it lays everything bare. Now, this is a bit of a logical progression, so just come with me on this, okay? Jesus is the light of this world. And darkness is the result of the absence of light. So when God removes himself completely from a place, darkness or evil is there. So think of it as like a logical opposite. The next time someone tells you that there can't be a God because of all the evil in the world, show them that there is only evil because of the absence of something purely good, God. Without, without God, we don't even have a reference point to understanding what evil is. If you don't know what good is, you can't say what evil is. So men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, okay? You want your darkness, you want to do your evil deeds, where you go, have it. Can you imagine the scene on earth now though? Utterly desperate, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? 
people covered in painful sores and they're suffering from thirst as that always ever-present stench of the ocean. They've been severely dehydrated, sorry. They've um, severely sunburnt. And then now, they're, now they've just got to grope around in the darkness constantly without lights. Now there have been, through history, many you know, prisoners who, it, it was even a torture to lock someone in pure pitch darkness where you cannot see anything, even your hand this close to your face, you just can't see no light at all. And many people just go crazy, lose their minds within a few days of being in that situation. It's terrible. Now again, man is given what he wants and it is horrible. There is no repentance. There's no, the only acknowledging of God is through anguish and cursing. Now, there is a little bit of a picture building here, yeah? And through these compounding bowls, the picture that's building, anyone sort of picked up what it is? It's just a building, a picture of hell, isn't it? As Jesus describes it as a place of darkness, it's a fiery furnace, weeping, gnashing of teeth. The scenes on earth, as, as we get towards the ends of these bowls, are turning into one of these, uh, the, the hell on earth description is starting to fit. So, and, and it all comes down to God giving man over completely to what he wants. It shows how futile our desires are, our natural desires are. So heed that warning again from the intro. Outside of God, you don't really want what you think you want. Now, the sixth angel. This is an... Sixth angel pulls out his bowl and the Euphrates River is dried up. Now, this, is a little, this seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Like, how is their wrath involved with drawing up a river that was probably blood like the others anyway? Like, how is, how is this a like, a, a like a judgment? How is this full of wrath? In fact, it, it, it gets even more confusing when we understand that drawing this river up prepares the way for the kings of the east. So God's making it easier for men to come to Him. But what are they coming for? Well, so we'll understand the Euphrates River for a bit, okay? The Euphrates River historically has always been a natural barrier between the East and the West. Like it protected the Western civilization. It was like a natural barrier between the Western and protected the Western civilizations, even the Middle East civilizations from invading forces from the East, from Asia and, and India and, and places like that. Um, removing this Euphrates is, is, is in many ways God allowing the progress of this demonic war machine to make its way, to, to, to move freely, as we, as we see in verse 13. And it says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. So, okay, we've got these demonic-like frog things that leave the unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And they head over all the world to persuade the kings to bring their best weaponry. Hey, you guys, come on, we're going to kill this God who's doing all this stuff to us. We're going to fight him. 
bring all your best weaponry. So could you imagine it, like the best weaponry of a world yet future? You think of the trillions of dollars that have gone into the R&D and all the weaponry that will be coming from the whole world assembling to fight God. Like what do they think is going to happen? They're assembled for battle, but it's not really a battle, is it? You read chapter 19, the battle's over and Jesus like shows up. The, the return of the king. It's a complete pizzling over the trillions of dollars of these, these weaponry. The pride, and, um, the pride and power of countries, that, that the emphasis and the money that's spent and the pride that's built up in these weapons just made to snuff out life, just brought together and they're completely obliterated in, as we read. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that epic, epic chapter 19 later on. So... This is what this bowl has done. It's provided the way for the men, to, for, the, for the demonic war machine, for the armies of men, the armies of the beast to come together to fight God. And God has prepared it. He's let them come to Him. He's prepared the way for them to come to Him. Man thinks they're doing the assembling. God's allowing it. And in Psalm 2, um, in that, you know, that prophetic psalm of David where it's talking about... Um, it's, it's sort of like an internal trinity conversation sometimes almost, you know, it was talking about the nations raged and then it refers to God as he who sits in the heavens and he laughs, he holds the nations, these, these, these raging little men, he holds them in derision. They're like ants to be stomped. So, that's the scene on earth at this point in time. I'm going to have a drink so I don't kick it. So up to this point in time, the building has just been getting worse and worse. This picture of hell on earth has been building. The scene's been getting more and more complex. There's more and more colour thrown in. We get the, we're getting a more and more rounded picture. We understand sort of what it looks like as the, uh, the Antichrist kingdom on earth squirms around to try and hold on to any sort of control that he has over earth um, when he comes against the cosmically omnipotent one and only God. So the demonic war machine here is assembled, all its armies to make war against God, and then verse 15 happens. Now it's between, well, it's, it's, it's like this little crack in the, in the whole, this mounting, terrible scene. It's like this little crack. It's between brackets in my Bible, and I'm sure it's in brackets in yours too, maybe. And this verse 15 is like this little sliver of light that breaks through. And it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So to any remnant of Christians that are left on the earth at this time, this is the verse for them. It's like a good news code hidden in plain sight. This is what they bank their lives on. This is what we bank our lives on. Hold tight, I'm, I'm coming soon. Jesus says, stay, stay awake. You don't know when I'm coming like a thief. Don't, don't get sleepy. Um, don't cave in. Stay alert, stay awake, stay faithful. Keep your garments on, those garments of righteousness that I died to ensure you could have. Keep them on. I died for you. 
stay serving me, stay worshipping me, stay loving me because I'm coming for you. Man, what a, what a reminder to the Christians that will see this on earth, eking out some sort of miserable existence. What a reminder to them. And, and what a reminder to the seven churches that this has been addressed to. And what a reminder to us as we look to, look to worsening times. So then, okay, that light that just needled in that little crack in verse 15 now it begins to widen and, and break away at that little crack. And this light grows in intensity as it is blasting through and it's getting torn away and there's, there's this massive beam of intense morning sun as the seventh bowl is poured out into the air and we hear that loud voice, that huge voice, that exceedingly great and mighty mega voice. It is done. What's done? It. Okay, what's it? God's wrath is emptied. But why was it emptied into the air? What, what, what is so triumphant about pouring wrath into the air? Ephesians chapter 2 refers to Satan as the prince of of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So I think this is God's wrath poured on Satan's kingdom. It's the air. We don't see the air, but God does. We can't see Satan's kingdom. We know it's out there, but we can't see it. Whereas God can see it. God does. And to John, it looks like it's being poured out into the air on this invisible thing, but it's Satan's kingdom. Now, you'll remember in the seventh trumpet, what did the seventh trumpet herald? Heralded the coming, the, the arrival of the kingdom of God. Okay? So the kingdom of God has shown up. What's this seventh bowl herald now? The demise of the kingdom of Satan. So God's kingdom's shown up, Satan's kingdom has to go down. And this is where it's shown. So let's think about this seventh bowl, okay, and of emptying God's wrath and see if it triggers any ideas of a, a parallel event, all right? This is what happens. God's wrath is poured out. It is done, is yelled from the throne. Now think, who is sitting on the throne? And then there is a massive earthquake such as had never been seen before and that follows. Now think, where is, that, where is that familiar from? It's a revisiting of Jesus' crucifixion. That's right. On the cross, as Jesus was hanging there, he's a bloody, broken, beaten mess. All right. His, he had God's wrath poured on him for your sins and, and my sins. And then he yelled, it is finished, before he gives up his spirit and he descends into death. And then an earthquake shakes the earth and the rocks split open and tombs are cracked and then people come to life and it's, it's a wild scene. Something like that had never been seen before. So we've got these parallel pictures, okay? We've got the bowls, our, our revelation bowls being poured out and we've got our, our wrath being poured on Jesus when he was crucified. 
So our, our, our first picture is that 2,000 years ago-ish, God poured out his wrath on his own son to make the way back to him for a people group, for his people. Okay? He made the way back. He, is, he established the way back by pouring his wrath out on his own son. Now, sometime in the future, we will see God's wrath poured out again on a world who hates him and has rejected his son and has refused to repent, even though God has already made that way back to him at such great cost 2,000 years ago. So, so here's the final pinch, okay? And, and this is the warning for you if you are not following Jesus with your whole life right now. You, you have been faced with what the world looks like when it is given over to its desires above God. It's a hell-like scene on earth as God's wrath is poured out on men who rejected him and the saving sacrifice of his son, okay? This is what men have done. They have rejected God's son. They've rejected the death of Jesus. Now, you do not want the logical end to what you think you want, okay? If you want nothing to do with God, then he won't force you and he will separate himself from you forever, you can't keep rejecting God and then expect Him to just offer you, usher you into heaven one day. God is patient, yes, but one day any opportunity for coming to Him will be closed. So if you hear His voice now, don't harden your heart. Turn, turn around from your sinful life and, and come to Him and commit to following Him. Now, to those of us who love Jesus and we hold all our joy in Him um, and because we've given ourselves over to being kept by His imperishable ransom, which is His blood, why must we understand God's wrath? And why must we understand this picture of hell on earth? Why? Why do we need to understand this? Because in understanding it, because in understanding the, the, the depths of this terror facing the unstoppable, white-hot wrath of an almighty and all-powerful God, when we, when we are confronted with what that is, we understand most clearly what Jesus died to save us from. So, do you see what was coming your way, individual members of Willowburn? Insert your name. Do you see what was coming your way? Do you see the wrath of, of God as it was poured out on the earth, at, which points towards that final place of utter separation from Him? Do you see that? Do you see what was coming your way? And that would have been poured out for you, except Jesus stepped over you and he took it. He took it on his back and he took it on his head and he took it in his hands, he took it in his feet, he took it in his side and he took it in his heart. 
This is why the book of Revelation is so great because Jesus is revealed clearer and clearer. And if you're bored with Revelation, then I feel sorry for you because you're missing out on seeing Jesus in all his glorious technicolor. All praise be to 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. Amen.